And we'll look again at just one verse from our scripture reading this morning. Look at Second Chronicles <clears throat> chapter 20, verse 12. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. I guess if you were going to put a title to this message this morning, you could call it, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. We've all found ourselves in situations like that, no doubt. Maybe you're in the middle of a situation like that now. Well, this is where King Jehoshaphat and the children of Judah found themselves. We know Jehoshaphat was a godly king, perhaps Judah's best king. He loved the Lord. He was doing everything he could to serve the Lord and to honor God. We know in previous chapters, Jehoshaphat had made some mistakes earlier in his reign. He wanted to please the Lord, but he had made some unwise decisions. He had made an alliance with King Ahab and the children of Israel and almost lost his life in a battle. But God had rebuked him and he had learned his lesson and he was determined to serve and follow the Lord. Chapter 19, verse 4 says, And he brought them back unto the Lord God of their fathers. So he was leading the nation of Judah out of idolatry and back to the Lord. Chapter 3 of or verse 3 of chapter 19 says, He took away the groves out of the land and prepared thine heart to seek the Lord. So we can see King Jehoshaphat was a good king, and he was determined to honor God and to lead the people in the ways of the Lord. But you know, the first lesson we can learn here is that being godly doesn't give us immunity from the cares of life. We know trials come to the righteous as well as the unrighteous. Second Timothy 3.12 says that all who live godly in this present world shall suffer persecution. Jesus' own word, he said, in this world you shall have tribulation. That's a promise you can all grab a hold of this morning. It's true. We know it's true. We experience it. But he says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So this morning, with God's help, we'll see how King Jehoshaphat learned to do what he didn't know what to do. He faced some situations, and we can learn some lessons from his example. We know uh, the first two verses here. It says that the invading armies of the Moabites and the Ammonites and others besides, uh, they seemed to spring up out of nowhere. Things were going along, and all of a sudden, he gets the word uh, from somebody that these armies are coming to invade them. You know, it seems like in the last several months, we've been hit with things that seem to come out of nowhere. Things that were unexpected. You know, it's easy to assume that, uh, in this case anyway, that they were facing a physical battle. But you know, there were spiritual forces at work. The enemy wanted to discourage he wanted to distract and he wanted to defeat the people of God. You know, the enemy wants to do the same thing today. His tactics haven't changed. 
Word of God says we're not ignorant of his devices, so we can see him uh, doing the same thing today. may seem to be uh, physical elements at work, but make no mistake, we're under spiritual attack. Satan wants to divide, defeat, distract, discourage, and conquer. Thank God we can look to his word for help. We see Jehoshaphat's first reaction. We read in verse 3, it says, And Jehoshaphat feared. That's a normal reaction. No doubt that's how we would respond if we were in that same situation. You know, it's been said you can conquer an entire nation with fear. You don't even have to fire a shot. Just get people fearful and afraid. You know, that's one of the enemy's oldest tricks. And Jehoshaphat, he feared, you know, fear causes us sometimes to react in different ways. I suppose Jehoshaphat could have acted in anger and frustration. It says it came to pass after this also that all this happened. After what? Well, after Jehoshaphat had determined to serve the Lord, after he had instituted reforms in the land and he led the people back to God and he was doing everything he could do, and then all of a sudden this happens. Well, that's just life. Those things happen sometimes. But I like the second part of verse 3. It says, He set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. You know, he set himself to seek the Lord. You know, it's so important to be right with God when the trouble comes. Jehoshaphat had already uh, set his heart to seek the Lord. And so, you know, if our hearts are right when trouble comes, our response will be right to that trouble. Jehoshaphat said he set himself to seek the Lord. You know what? I don't believe he was just seeking God's hand. He was seeking God's heart. We don't want to seek the Lord just as a way of getting ourselves out of trouble. We want to seek his heart. We want to know what God wants of us. We want our lives to be pleasing to the Lord. And that was part of Jehoshaphat's prayer. We also read in verse 4, it says, And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. You know, this is a perfect model of what God wants his people to do in times of crisis and conflict. He doesn't want us to divide, but to unite, to come together, to ask help of the Lord. And that's what they did. We see something else they did. We see uh, in the following verses, verses 5 through 9, they begin to recite God's promises and they begin to remember past victories that God had given them. You know, reminding God of his promises doesn't mean the Lord forgets, but sometimes we do. So we have to rehearse those things in our hearts and we have to look to the Lord. And as we begin to do that and think about the things the Lord has already done, it begins to build our faith. It allows us to focus on God's power and his promises rather than on the size of our problems. I read an old quote. It says, if we fill our prayers with the greatness of our problems, our faith will shrink. But if we fill our prayers with the greatness of God and his promises and past victories, our faith will grow. It's true. You begin to think about all the things that God has done and that God will do and your faith 
will begin to grow and you'll feel encouraged even in the face of a battle. You know, they chose to trust God's power rather than to depend on their own resources. They had some resources at their disposal. Jehoshaphat, if you read in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 12 through 19, it tells us about the army that Jehoshaphat had at his disposal. They had over a million man standing army ready to march at Jehoshaphat's orders. But he realized in this situation, he says, we have no power or might against this great company. He realized they were outnumbered. He could have, again, chosen to trust in his own strength. But what did he do? You know, he did the same thing we should do. When we face an enemy and we're uh, overwhelmed and we're outnumbered, we do what Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 tells us to do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. You know, I suppose Jehoshaphat could have panicked. He could have tried to quickly mobilize an army. He could have tried to throw some kind of battle plan together and throw up a prayer as he was on his way out to the battlefield, but you know what would have ended in disaster. He did what we should do. He prayed first, sought the Lord first, pray first and plan later. Someone once said he realized he could do something after he prayed, but nothing worthwhile before he prayed. So we want to remember when we're facing things that seem to overwhelm us, pray, seek God's guidance, and God will help us. You know, Jehoshaphat refused to give in to self-pity. That's very important. He refused to become a victim. You read verses 10 and 11 again. It says, And now behold... The children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. You know, he was reminding God of this group of people here that years earlier as they, the children of Israel had come out of Egypt, and they were just about ready to enter the promised land. There was this group of people there, and the Lord said, don't invade their land. Don't conquer them. Leave them alone. Well, here now, years later, these people are turning right around to attack uh, Jehoshaphat and the children of Judah. How many times has the devil ever come along and said, it's just not fair? It's not fair. Well, I'm sure that's what he was trying to do here. You know, this was a critical point for Jehoshaphat. He could have given in to despondency and despair. He could have questioned God and even uh, doubted his righteousness. But you know what he did? He chose to put that thing in God's hands. He says, Oh God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no power or might against this great army. In other words, Lord, uh, somebody said he took the ball and he put it in God's court. And that's always good. When you can put the ball in God's court, that's the best place, the best thing you can do. He just took that situation as unfair as it seemed, and he turned it over to the Lord. And I love that prayer. He says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. That's the most one of the most beautiful prayers in God's word. They just look to the Lord, refuse to give in to self-pity, You know, Jehoshaphat was willing to humble himself before God and others. 
We have no power against them. We don't know what to do. Here was the leader of Judah, the king, the leader of the country. They were looking to him for advice, no doubt, and, and hoping he would lead them in confidence. And he said, I don't know what to do. Well, that was the right thing to do because he humbled himself in front of God and others and they looked to the Lord. And you know, uh, by his example, the children of, of Judah were willing to do the same. Word of God tells us in James, it says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. The last thing we need when we're facing a battle is to have God resisting us as well. Yet too many times uh, people are too proud to admit they need God's help or uh, too proud to admit their weaknesses. And you know, not only do we face resistance from the enemy, at that point we were face resistance from God. He resists the proud. Oh, but thank God He gives grace to the humble, gives help to those that are willing to look His way. You know, without humility, it's impossible to put our complete trust in God. So we want to humble ourselves, look to the Lord. The worst thing we can do when we don't know what to do is to pretend to know what to do. Say that ten times really fast. But it's true. We don't want to lean to our own understanding, you know. We want to do like Jehoshaphat did. He humbled himself. He sought the Lord. He was willing to get himself out of the way, get his eyes on the Lord and get himself out of the way. That's what we must do when we're facing those battles that are too big to fight. We can follow that example. God will honor those that are humble. He gives grace to the humble. How did God respond to Jehoshaphat's cry? Well, we read in verse 14, he, went, he sent word to Jehoshaphat through the prophet Jehaziel. And verse 15, it tells us, uh, this was God's response to Judah and Jehoshaphat. He said, Hearken ye all Judah and all ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for this battle is not yours, but God's. That must have been some very welcome news to King Jehoshaphat right about that time. Be not afraid, the battle's not yours, but God's. You know, sometimes the battles we're involved in are our fault. Sometimes they're self-inflicted. Sometimes we bring those battles on ourselves, uh, maybe through something we've done that was wrong or we've responded in the wrong way. And, and those are difficult battles to fight. But sometimes as God's people, as Christians, we may just be minding our own business, just trying to serve the Lord and do our best, and suddenly out of nowhere, we get hit with something, and uh, through no fault of our own, we weren't looking to be involved or engaged in a conflict, and yet here it comes. It's good during those times to remember the battle's not ours. It's God's. You know, the last thing you want to do is get yourself involved in a battle that doesn't belong to you. You know, when God says it's his battle, it's God's battle. Unfortunately, sometimes people like to jump into the middle of something, and, you know, that can be very dangerous. God doesn't need our help fighting his battles. 
Well, it's hard for some people to realize, but he really doesn't need our help. But sometimes we can get ourselves in the way. Sometimes we may prevent God from doing what he wants to do, or sometimes we may prolong the battle, or worse yet, sometimes we may get caught in the crossfire. You can become a casualty of war. But we want to do what Jehoshaphat did. We want to get our eyes on the Lord and get ourselves out of the way, and God will fight for us. Verse 17 goes on. It says, Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves. Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Fear not. Don't be dismayed. The Lord will be with you. You know, God told him here, uh, he, he told him, you're not going to have to fight in this battle. There's nothing you're going to be able to do. He says, set yourself, stand still. Don't be fearful or dismayed. You're not going to have to fight them, but you are going to have to face them. Well, it's the same with us. You know, as Christians, we may not have to fight the battle, but as God's people, we're going to have to face the battles. We're going to have to face the enemy every day. You know, retreat isn't one of the options God offers. But we can face the battle with confidence, knowing that when God's in control, he'll fight the battle for us. He tells us how we can face the enemy. Verse 21, again, we see this example here. It says, And when, they had consul- when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord. And that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord sent ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. You know, you can face the enemy with praise and thanksgiving. In confidence, it says they sent the singers out first. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto the Lord. You know, praise should always precede anything else. Thanksgiving should always precede any request we may make. Of course, we know For our praise to mean anything to the Lord, it has to come from a pure heart, a regenerated heart. Word of God says if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord won't hear us. You know, you can't praise the Lord in the beauty of holiness if you don't know what holiness is. You can't offer a sacrifice of praise if that sacrifice is tainted and stained with sin. But you know, when your heart is right, you can face the enemy with confidence and with a praise in your heart. And you know, when you begin to praise the Lord, things begin to happen. We see throughout Scripture, you know, nothing will usher in divine assistance more powerfully or quickly than when we begin to praise the Lord in the midst of a conflict. You think about Paul and Silas there as they were uh, put in the stocks and beaten. And at midnight, they begin to sing and praise. What happened? God sent an earthquake. Shook the whole uh, walls of that cell. The chains fell off and the doors were open. God did a miraculous thing. Oh, it's powerful to praise the Lord. We want to do that with a heart uh, that's pure and right before God. 
Well, you know, one other thing that led them to success, they not only got their eyes on the Lord, they kept their eyes on the Lord. One of the most dangerous things that can happen is for a person to become distracted. You know, in battle, if if a soldier becomes distracted, he ends up dying on the battlefield. When a driver becomes distracted, we see the mayhem and the horrible things that can happen on the roadways, the damage that they cause not only themselves but others. You know, when Christians become distracted, you can be captured by the enemy and taken captive. So it's so important we don't become distracted. A distraction is something that takes our attention away from what we should be doing. What we should be doing is keeping our focus on the Lord. Our eyes should be upon Jesus Christ. Uh, You know, the Lord is coming soon. We know that. The Bible says the Lord is going to return the second time for those who are looking for his appearing. God's word instruction, he says, look up for your redemption drop. Now, he doesn't say look around. Look at the problems. Let the world focus on the problems. We, as God, should we want to focus on the solution. The solution is Jesus Christ. And our message should point those to the cross of Christ. That is the only hope. The only hope for this whole world. We need to stay on message and we need to keep our focus on the things above. Uh, God help us. It's so easy to get distracted. But we know when the Lord returns, we want our eyes and our focus upon the Lord. If you're not ready to meet the Lord this morning, I would encourage you, cry out to God. Seek the Lord. Seek Him with all your heart. Humble yourself. God will help you. You need to be ready. And then ask the Lord to help you to stay focused on the things that are truly important, the things of God, the message of the cross, the good news of salvation. That's what we need to be proclaiming to the world. You know, we can read how this all ended here for King Jehoshaphat. Verse 30 says, So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. You know, there's a rest for the people of God. One day when we get to heaven, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. All of the fighting, all of the striving will be over. But until that day, we have a battle to fight. But God help us. We want to keep our eyes on the Lord. If you do that this morning, God will help you. God will encourage you. The best for the Christian is yet to come. I know it looks pretty bleak at times, but keep your eyes on the Lord. God will help you today. God bless you.